Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And on today's episode, we've got a lot to talk about. I've got a couple of TV shows on Netflix uh, to discuss, uh, a short book review for a book that I talked about on the podcast in the last episode I've finished reading since um, that recording, and a bunch of movies to talk about uh, for reviews since I got to see quite a few movies since the last time I recorded, and this week, uh, since it was a big release week, I watched um, not only Godzilla, King of the Monsters, but I watched um, Rocketman, the Elton John biopic slash musical. Uh, so, got a lot to talk about on here. I think we're also going to be talking about Brightburn. I was originally going to be talking about Ma uh, as well this week, but I did not get out to see it. Um, I just had seen too many movies this week, and um, oh, I think that I am also going to be talking about uh, Perfection, uh, the movie on Netflix, starring, um, I believe it is Allison Williams from Get Out. I might have that wrong, but when we get to talking about that, I will make sure I have the IMDb pulled up to make sure I get everybody right in that film. Um, so, sorry for the little break there between episodes. I did have uh, plans to record with my buddy when he was in town, but um, fortunately, circumstances did not allow that. I had some uh, family obligations and then time just hanging out with him for the short amount of time we get back. Uh, we just did not get a chance to sit down and record together. We still, we were gonna do um, the Avengers episode, but I think I'm gonna put a little hold on that. Um, since at this point about everybody's in the world has seen it. And we're going to instead wait until uh, it comes out on home release. And then I'm going to do kind of a uh, full film review with Infinity War doubled with Endgame. So it's going to be a little while till we get to that one, but I think that that's going to be more of a better way to approach uh, reviewing that film. And I think it'll be a little bit more interesting than everything else you guys have heard on the show already or on other podcasts or read other film reviews on for that film. So um, before we get into the other reviews for the the show today, um, we are going to talk about The Five Awakened by Sean Dressler. Uh, I mentioned this book a little bit in uh, the last episode of the podcast. I just started reading it, and um, I was really liking it, and I finished it since that episode, and uh, Sean was really appreciative that I talked about it on the last podcast um, and uh, you know gave me a short small plug on social media for for talking about it so i really appreciate that thanks sean um so <clears throat> overall i really like the book uh it's not over long it's about 400 pages um the chapters are really what kind of are saving graces because there's a lot of chapters i believe there's about 58 chapters in the entire book uh and each individual chapter is from that from a character's perspective so you jump back and forth between all the different characters in, in, in the book, um, the aforementioned five uh, main characters, and um, he does a really good job of developing the world, letting you know who lives in the world, um, the history of the world, uh, what 
these characters are coming together to accomplish what their ultimate goal is to is and um he's really strong on characterization and each of the different races within the book are definitely um allegories or if i'm using that word right or at least parallels to um most fantasy style races like it's not your traditional well there's orcs or there's elves or there's humans or there's dwarves they all have different um race names they they kind of have their uh basis off of those old um fantasy archetypes but they are their own characters like are they their own races they're their own individuals like the um Gorons, I believe, if I'm remembering that correctly, uh, are pretty much dwarves, but they're they're not really like classified as dwarves. Like they're more just like that. Their skin is red, but they do stonecraft and they live underground. Um, I th I think they're kind of short in stature, but it's not really like delved into a whole lot about you know where they compare size wise to other species. But it's even if they are like it's still different enough, but yet you can see where the inspiration comes from and it's really cool and uh, like the the fins are are more like the elves or at least the um, wood elves in that sense because um, they live in the woods like they have a respect for for nature and for life and um, so it's it's really well done and the only issues that i had with the book was for one it's it's an indie release which i have no problem with it being an ind independent release um but there were editorial issues uh, with some grammar and some spelling, like the, you know, the one like pet peeve is the wrong your. Uh, but at the same time, since it's an independent release, it's not like you have an editor or uh, like at a major publishing house, a editor that is there to catch everything. Um, he has a developmental e editor um, and his wife, and I know if you have the ebook versions, like most ebooks, especially from independent authors, get updates to fix those errors. I have the paper copy, so there's obviously no way to really fix those errors. So it's just a minor thing, uh, and there's not a whole lot of them, but there there are a few here and there sprinkled throughout the uh, throughout the book. And at times, it, it took me out of the book a little bit, but. It wasn't enough to really be like, oh, this really negatively impacts the story. For a first-time author, it's still a really good book, um, and uh, it's very—it's a very strong debut for an independent author who has, you know, no other works to his name. And um, the only other issue I had is when it's getting closer to the climax. There's like this fine kind of final battle it's like a rebel uprising within this main city that has all the different races in in the world kind of living it what's supposed to be harmony but it seems like that one particular race like the Nalgar are kind of more in charge of the city guard and then the city council which is still made up of the, all the different races are kind of more corrupt that they're serving like kind of the the Sauron of of the book a little bit um and there's a big battle and it's good but at the same time it it kind of uh feels a little rushed like it seems like it starts and then within like two chapters uh, with all the characters some of the other characters kind of join in the fight mid fray they uh it's over like 
it was really kind of like, oh, wait, it just started and now it's over. But I get that, like, Sean is setting up kind of the greater the greater battle to come. So, I mean, it's, it's not a big thing in the sense of like that's not what the purpose of this book is the book this purpose is to introduce us to these five main characters what their major goal is to be and what they're going to fight in the future and i think he does a fantastic job at that and i was actually just looking on his facebook page because i know he's released the uh cover art for book two and i was wondering when that book is releasing and it says in early fall of 2019 so that's really great that he can release two uh, books in the same year and I'm I'm ready for it like he he really wrapped me in with the characters like I already knew from when I read the little kind of short uh, bit um, prior to the actual release of the book uh, that like I think it's Farron who is the Finn uh, was probably going to be my favorite character and that kind of stuck true throughout the rest of the book and, and Farron ends up having like an interesting relationship with uh, a dragon and that leaves me a question, um, maybe this will be a Twitter poll question uh, I'll do on Twitter or uh, if you guys want to write into the podcast uh, at criticsnotcynics at gmail.com. What's your opinion of dragons in the sense of what dragon do you prefer? Do you prefer dragons that are intelligent, that can speak? Uh, either telepathically or verbally or like uh you know if you ever saw dragon heart um with dennis quaid uh that you know the dragons that have some type of connection or like smog in the hobbit uh that they can actually talk to the characters or do you prefer the more bestial uh, dragons um like in game of thrones or most other kind of like high fantasy uh, novels or video games or RPGs or you know Dungeons and Dragons uh, I'm, I'm a little on the fence on it because like I, I kind of like the idea of more of the bestial dragons like there's still a sense of wisdom with them or you know intelligence but that they but that they don't rely on communication with other beings but at the same time like when you have a character like Smaug uh, from The Hobbit it's kind of a cool aspect of how they can interact with other characters within that world, especially if they're like the greedy kind of dragon um, in that sense. So I'm a little on the fence on it, but I'd like to hear what other people's opinions are. Um, I know I talked with a coworker and she's kind of on the fence too. Like she likes kind of both sides of that coin. So I, I haven't really fully decided where I kind of fall on that opinion, but I think Sean does a really great job with, with the dragon in the book and kind of setting up uh, other dragons in the world and, and their importance in the world so i really uh want to give a huge shout out to sean and congratulate him for writing such a fantastic debut novel uh if you have not uh thought about it or heard about it or checked about it you know the primer book um i think it's the five awaken an introduction to the kingdoms of the core i believe is still free so if you're not really sure if you're gonna like it just go get that it's like about the first 10 chapters of the book um, for free and you know read it and see what you think and if it's got your interest I believe the the ebook is $2.99 it might be a little bit higher at this point since it's a little bit past the release date I'm not sure um, so if you don't mind e-reading like that's not a super huge price for a 300 some odd page book um, so I definitely highly recommend it I, I 
like I've said on the podcast in the past, you know, support indie work because that's really kind of where we can foster more talent and get more diversity and get more um, work that's not of the same. Now, I know a lot of work, uh, independent work, can be a little bit derivative, that it's just kind of slight rehashes of the same old thing, but, you know, sometimes you get a gem like The Five because it's, although it's really based kind of more like within the, the Tolkien world of, of high fantasy, it does a really good job of differentiating itself enough that it feels like a completely different world and different set of characters. I also want to apologize if my audio dips in and out um, while recording. Um, it's just the equipment I'm working on. I can see right now it's probably lagging a little bit, so it's probably going to cause a little distortion within my audio. Um, it's just the stuff I have to deal with until I can get a higher-end computer and um, have the money to get a higher-end computer and uh, be able to upgrade the equipment. So I apologize. I might try uh, recording on my phone here at some point, as long as I can um, figure out a way to correctly upload it without running into any issues about like emailing it to myself and the file being too big uh, to kind of get in one piece. Because I have a higher end iPhone. Um, I have the iPhone 10s Max. And I've checked out the GarageBand recording on it, and like it sounds really well, but I just don't know how to necessarily transport that file to like SoundCloud uh, from my phone if I can. Um, so I need to investigate that a little bit more. Um, so again, apologies for any type of audio dropouts. It's just the equipment I'm dealing with. Um, all right, so uh, on a, on a uh, star scale, I wanted to give this on like Goodreads and on Amazon like four and a half, but it, it doesn't like when I try to do half stars on there. Um, so uh, I, I'm still going to stick with four. I'm just going to stick with four and a half on here on the podcast. If you look at my Goodreads or if you look at my Amazon review of it, it's going to say four stars, but it's really four and a half because really I just kind of take off the the half a point for some of the editorial errors uh, and um, that kind of feeling like that final battle was rushed because like I was just so excited because it's it's really the only major battle in the book and it just like it just felt like it started and then it ended but that also may have been a part of me like I might have been trying to rush a little too hard to like finish it because I was just like oh I'm so good at like this is so good I want to get to the end I want to know how this all wraps up that I might have kind of maybe sped read through some of it and I might have missed some things so um but I'm really excited for Sean's next book in the series and uh all I can say is Sean keep up the good work um and I look forward to to getting back to that world later this year all right um I'm going to do a quick uh game review um as you know guys I've been playing Days Gone uh I just finished the game today I do have like kind of like one epilogue mission left to do um which I'll probably finish up here after recording um overall I really liked it although near the end it got frustrating um because like you get through 95% of the game without having to fight hordes like you could go 
and fight one if you wanted to, but you could actively avoid it because, um, like, it's a massive amount of freakers. And then all of a sudden the game just decides to throw you into a horde training mission um, in the latter half of the game. And uh, I got very frustrated with it. I thought I was not going to be able to finish the story. Fortunately, uh, and I know this is a kind of a debate amongst games from like the Dark Souls games or Bloodborne or Sekiro Die Twice. Um, it, with, you know, the access of being easy or not easy. For one, Days Gone is not a From Software game. It's difficulty is fairly level throughout most of the game uh but then it seems like it hits a huge spike here with the horde missions because like it's just something it does not set you up for at any time prior to these final missions and then all of a sudden you get like three horde missions near the end and only one of them was i really actually able to do because part of the problem with the game is is the your stamina if you basically like all the nero checkpoints unless you've upgraded your stamina at all of those and like left your health or left your focus alone you're not going to really be able to run from the horde for a long amount of time i mean you can create stamina cocktails but like i and that's one issue i have is the crafting uh, menu is annoying and frustrating and like seeing what ingredients you have what ingredients you don't have is kind of frustrating um so if you had like stamina cocktails you, you could you know survive a little bit longer but uh like as soon as you run like next to maybe like a box like if you're just close enough to that box it's going to stop you and then as soon as one freaker hits you you're stuck and then you get swarmed over and you die immediately essentially and so I didn't think I was going to be able to finish it, but it does have a feature that allows you to skip, after you've failed it so many times, to skip right along as if you had completed it. So uh, I was glad it had that feature because, like I said, I was not able to do the first Horde mission. I was able, after dying like twice, the second Horde mission, because it actually had more like explosive canisters, I had more of the napalm molotov cocktails, I had more room to move around. And, and figure out ways to kind of slow them down to uh, to get through, to kind of cut down their numbers a little bit before uh, finally being able to beat them. And um, and then the last one was in the sawmill, and it's just it's just ridiculous. Uh, so I do have to give then the studio like some credit for at least building that feature in because like there's even some bike chases that. Are extremely frustrating um, and like it was like the last one I had to do uh, I failed it so many times because because like the way you start off first off you're off your bike and then they go running by and then you have to get on your bike but then you're trying to rush to get there and it's very easy even if you've got a full upgraded bike like myself to get it damaged extremely quickly and then to run out of gas really quickly or to easily run into a tree or you you know slightly hit your controller to the left and all of a sudden you've run into a tree or you've run off a road and you're in water and you're stuck and then you immediately fail the mission so um so there were some frustrating stuff more near the end of the game than i had during like the middle um the story is pretty good it, it hits a real lull in the latter half um 
and that's where like I got really kind of annoyed with it like I was trying to rush through it on Memorial Day weekend because I had some days off and I was like okay I'm gonna spend all this day and like I thought I was near the end and I was like oh no you've got like 20 more missions to do and and x amount of more cutscenes and I don't mind cutscenes but like because that's I love story-based games but it just got really frustrating I was like oh go do this mission to go do this mission and I'm like am I at the end yet like I thought I was at the end like when you're telling me I'm getting locked out of this region uh usually that's kind of a sign of like hey you're this is it like you're in the end game and uh you know once you finish up here then then you'll have like either new game plus or just to play after like prior to the final mission and in most games um so it ends kind of lacklusterly a little bit like the the fine the final stuff is is fine the final mission is is, is really good in my opinion it wraps up things pretty nicely uh it gives, even gives you a nice like little little surprise uh with a character but uh it just kind of then it just ends it just stops and it doesn't really kind of with especially with some of the missions you're doing in the final bit of the game it doesn't seem like that's where it would end and um I don't know, like, I mean, they just didn't throw anything in there that would maybe set up a sequel that I felt like they might have that. Um, so I think overall I'm going to go with a, a 3.5 out of 5 um, as a rating for that game. Like, overall, it's very fun. It's very enjoyable. I got used to the motorcycle um, controls, and, and that helped improve my enjoyment of the game. Um, but it... it kind of runs a little over long uh some missions shouldn't have been missions some of the optional missions shouldn't have been missions I got constantly tired of being called like you know for the first bit of the game you'd get no calls like for jobs and then all of a sudden you're getting hit with oh well hey this is copeland from the camp we oh yeah coop we have a job for me okay i'll be there soon and then tucker will call you and then Corey will call you and it's like oh my god you know well, you cut it out and like I was doing all the jobs and I was doing all the nests and then certain nests required you to have certain things and like even though you'd scavenge everything you still wouldn't have the materials to create what you needed to do it so I think uh, I think a 3.5 is fairly accurate uh, I mean overall it's a very enjoyable game um, it needs some improvements it needs some some more patches to kind of fix some bugs I still ran into some bugs uh, and we're like a month out after the release uh, of the game, so I think that Ben needs to fix on on some of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I still enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, I got the epilogue mission pretty much here to do, and and that's it. And I'm gonna be done, and I don't know if I'm gonna revisit anytime soon, uh, but I'll probably revisit in the future. Um, so that's gonna do it for for my review of Days Gone. Um, if you can get it on sale, I'd say definitely pick it up. I wouldn't necessarily want to pay the full sixty, which I mean, I paid for the full sixty when that uh, when it came out, and I don't regret that that uh, choice. But as um, an advice to someone who's unsure if they want to pick up the game, um, I think that there's going to be a days of play game uh, sale here um, starting on June seventh, and um, I think it's supposed to drop to like twenty. 20 or 30 bucks if you can get it for that price if you can wait that long i'd say get it then um so i definitely recommend that uh i am going to give a, a kind of a brief shout out to another game that i think got uh kind of shafted in reviews uh is call of cthulhu and uh, i've kind of played that a little bit 
still near the kind of real beginning, but things are starting to get really interesting. And I don't think reviewers were really fair to this game, or certain reviewers were really fair to this game. Um, because it really feels like the old kind of point-and-click computer games I used to play as a kid. Uh, kind of like the original Black Mirror um, and the old Sherlock Holmes that were for uh, computer for PC. Because uh, like it's more just like exploration. It feels like a Telltale's game in the sense of like you have things to look at to kind of shape uh, the gameplay, but it's not on rails, so it's not like you're specifically walking a predetermined path to look at these items here and there. You have more exploration. Uh, there's not like, you know, really fighting or anything like that, but it's more just kind of a detective story, and it's more explaining, um, not explaining, but more of just like a, a scary story. And, and I love H.P. Lovecraft's work. Uh, I came to his work late in life, not that you know, 20, when did I get this book? 23 or 24 is like late, but uh, I didn't really get it fully, like his complete works read until like age 25, 26, but, uh, and I'm gonna be 31 here in July, uh, but I've really become a huge uh, Lovecraft fan since reading his, his uh, completed works. And uh, this Call of Cthulhu game seems like it's gonna do it justice. And I, I just think like reviewers took it a little too harsh. Uh, it's really well voice acted. It's got a really good atmosphere. Uh, I'm kind of stuck currently like on this asylum mission in chapter five of the game, I think. Uh, and, and that's mainly just cause like, I hate stealth sections. I really do. I'm not a huge stealth person, which is why it took me so long to get to the Assassin's Creed game. Uh, it wasn't until I was playing Deus Ex Machina, no, Deus Ex Machina, that's not it, but Deus Ex, uh, like Mankind Divided and uh, Human Revolution, I think is the, the one before that, where I finally kind of was forced to play a game that really required me to be stealthy um, for some missions, and uh, so I'm kind of getting more accustomed to it, uh, and, but this, uh, so I mean, I'm currently keep getting caught by this guard, like when I'm trying to, you know, get this item to get this uh, inmate to cause a ruckus so I can escape the asylum but uh, I really like it I really like the exploration I really like the voice actor the voice actor actually was uh, I think his name was it wasn't Daniel Daniels is from one of the other movies but he's the uh, character that comes and gets Amanda Ripley um, and tells her that they they think that her mother's still alive it's the same voice actor and so I think he does a really good job and it's got that detective noir feel to it um, and I know, like, some people are saying that Sinking City is going to be the more, like, action-packed Lovecraft game that people thought Call of Cthulhu was going to be. And I've got Sinking City pre-ordered. But, you know, in all honesty, I hope to enjoy them both equally as the games that they are versus what I think other people think they should be. So, uh, you know, look look uh, forward to a review down the pipe when I eventually get that finished. <laughs> when I get all the games that I own finished, which will take me forever um i keep buying them but don't have enough time to play them because i think i even have judgment pre-ordered for june so you know i'm gonna do two games this month and uh i know death stranding comes out in november star wars fallen order comes out in november so yeah it's gonna be pretty much a jam-packed year of video games again and any sales that come up i keep buying games on sales as well um all right so i think that's gonna do it for for video game talk um we're going to go ahead and move into two shows that I watched during kind of my little extended vacation. Um, as anyone that was following me on Twitter knew, knows, I was watching the new season of Slasher, Slasher Solstice, 
uh, on Netflix. If you have not watched the slasher series on Netflix, you're really doing yourself a disservice if you're a horror fan. Um, it's a really good show. Like it, it originally premiered on the Chiller Network, uh, which I think we have the channel. May not have it. We used to have it, but it's not. It's it's a horror based channel, which is fine. But it's not really like popular. It's not really well advertised. So I I knew this show existed, but I didn't know anything about it. And then like I saw it was on Netflix. And I didn't even really know at the time that Netflix had originally then bought the uh, distribution rights to it. Um, and so um, we, uh, or I uh, decided to kind of finally start watching it. I needed a new horror show to watch, so why not start with a show called Slasher about a um, slasher killer? And, uh, and I was a big fan of the, the Screen MTV series as well. Um, and I'm actually ashamed that MTV is not doing that show justice anymore with uh, the delay in season three, the fact that they then just decided to stop with uh, the kind of storyline that they set up in the Halloween special because it set up a great season three and then they were taking so long that then they just told the cast to say, hey, go get new jobs. Like, I don't blame the, the actors for like sitting there going, hey, when are, when are we going to start working? Because like, I need to work. I need to make my bread and butter. And then for MTV to be like, just go look for new jobs. Like, go go ahead, go ahead. Uh, and now they're basically soft rebooting it and a whole new series, whole new producers. Um, I think that's kind of like a middle finger to Wes Craven and Wes Craven's memory and to Kevin Williamson because um, they did such a great job with that with that show. Like the Halloween special was a little bit of a letdown, but the ending set up such a great, interesting storyline for what would be probably a final season, in my opinion. Um, but anyways, getting back to Slasher. Um, so Slasher is an anthology horror series on Netflix now. Uh, it's now a Netflix original. So Netflix produced seasons two and three. And um, it's, it's an anthology show that follows a different killer each season. And uh, so I think... It, it, Season two is probably my favorite season, even though I, I dislike how they do some kind of time jumps, like, in, in the sense of, like, their flashbacks. Like, their flashbacks are not really well done or well, well televised, like, how they're doing them. Um, but overall, like, I like the, the setting more. I liked the fact that they're... I have something about, like, winter horror in the sense of, like, you have people stuck in a location but are stuck there because of the climate, like that they're stuck there because of the weather. And like, even if they, so like the weather itself is a character that's preventing these characters from getting out because you can't go, if you're 50 miles outside, like the nearest sign of help, you can't just go out there in that weather and try to get to that place. Or, you know, people can't necessarily easily get to you. It's like why the shining is, is so great. Um, so I think that's why season two kind of ends up being my favorite and like why I like the thing so much. And, and uh, there's even a low budget horror film called Silent Scream, which is not, again, like I, I like objectively bad horror films for some reason, uh, because if there's any type of creativity in them, I typically tend to like it because it's like, ooh, I really like that aspect of it. Like I can overlook some of these, you know, bad acting or bad writing or bad uh, cinematography. Um, so... Anyways, season three is called Slasher Solstice, and it deals with uh, the killers called the Druid. The mask is really cool. 
um, and he's targeting the uh, tenants of this kind of uh, apartment building. And um, what I really like about this season is that it takes place within a single day. So these, uh, the episodes are eight hours, or not eight hours, uh, eight episodes. And um, so they kind of like each, I think episode is like about three, three hours. Uh, like, so it's like from like 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. for episode one or, or something like that. But uh, usually the, each series kind of deals with an inciting incident. So for this incident, uh, a one of the tenants um, was murdered after their like solstice. They do have this solstice party uh, every year, and he's uh, kind of a man whore. Uh, he sleeps with anything, whether it be man, woman. Wouldn't be surprised if he sleeps with beast. He he's a druggie. He loves alcohol. So he's got a lot of character flaws. And then he gets murdered, and like they do a point. It's kind of like the Kitty Genovese. Um, case in, in New York and I think it was in the 60s where she was murdered outside an apartment complex or uh, brutally raped and murdered I believe I may have the facts of that wrong but some some of those facts are wrong but like n people were there in the apartment building and people saw it happen but nobody called the cops and so it's kind of like that for this premise like he's trying to get he gets into the building he's already been stabbed he's trying to get people to help him and no one's helping him and then he eventually ends up dying and so then it jumps a year later and murders start happening and then they find out it's focused on the tenants of this apartment building um and it's it's really it's really well done it's very gruesome that's one thing that this show does really well you get a, a like you get so, so many creative kills um there's a brutal decapitation in the first episode there's someone whose face gets shoved into a toilet and the toilet's actually filled with like I think it's like acid and so like that's kind of how the first episode end, ends is you just see that person's face after being shoved repeatedly in the toilet uh so the effects are really good there's even like someone's face gets shoved in a blender um there's just some really cool creative gruesome kills in, in the show but the the one thing that kind of got a little too in my face was was some politics stuff um you know there's one character who's muslim um, which is you know no issue but you have another character and like I, I get what they're kind of trying to do is they're just trying to show how shitty of a person this character is um, like I mean her father is is a white supremacist uh, in, in in the show but they do something really interesting with that that I did like a lot um, and so but at one point like his daughter just like because they think that the decapitation but since she's muslim like that she's isis and that you know this is what all muslims do and i know that that's trying to portray or show like a, a certain subset of people within the country or within the world who think that of muslims um but it, it felt a little too forced down my throat like i'm like granted it's been a few years since i've been in high school so things may have changed but um you know, it, it just doesn't, I don't see that happening. I don't hear about this happening on a day-to-day -day basis, but that just may be me. I may be isolated from this, but it just seemed a little, a little too weird. And there's some, um, things like with there, there's, uh, like a gay couple, um, 
that there's some stuff with that that seems like they they try to take it like a little too far to kind of push a particular agenda with it and i'm just like i don't care like it doesn't matter like i don't mind that these characters gay i don't mind that the character's muslim but don't i, I get, get it it's like a work of fiction but don't like over try to emphasize a certain thing that supports a narrative that you're trying to put out there that i don't think is 100 percent true i don't say that's not completely invalid but i don't see this as a regular thing but again it just may be me i'm isolated i like to stay home a lot i don't go out in, in society a whole lot to see any type of interactions like this on a normal basis or on a regular basis or maybe it's just within the area i live in uh, that you know we don't really have those issues but maybe those issues are out there and i know like racism and uh uh bigots uh, do exist out in the world and that there are white supremacists and stuff like that um but what i do find kind of interesting with the white supremacist character and like i didn't really have any issue with with the fact that they made a character white, white supremacist because that is an issue that we are kind of having within the, the country right now um they they do something really cool and i don't know if this goes into a spoiler so i apologize if this is a, a little bit spoilerish, but they give him a redemptive arc like they don't really like they can kind of give him a reason as to why he's a white supremacist it's not so much that he necessarily hates other nationalities but more of like he's down on his luck he's raising his daughter all by himself he's raised his daughter all by himself for years and then when someone comes knocking on his door saying like hey we want to help these people out and and he's like no one's helped me out like why should i help them out no i'm i'm struggling just as much as they are but because of my skin i've got my white privilege or whatever and so no one's willing to help me out but then you're coming to me expecting to help them out and so like i i get kind of his underlying message like i think it's invalid i think that's wrong i think you should try to help out anyone despite your circumstances uh, if you can actually help them out, if you have the ability to contribute to something or give to some type of charity uh, or help your community out in any way, regardless of nationality, gender, uh, orientation, or anything like that. But, like, I understood his argument. And so when he kind of gets paired up with a character that you kind of get this thing set up throughout the entire season, that he hates this guy because he's, he's gay and that, like, he just... And, and also he's latino um and that you know so like they don't get along because of uh the white supremacist character's kind of history with how he's acted with other tenants and and there's a lesbian couple that he kind of torments a little bit uh and he's kind of overall bad person but then they kind of get stuck together in, in a later episode and you see this kind of shift in character where he's like you know we're in this together like I'm going to try to help you get out of this. Like, we're going to survive this together. We're, and then, and like, so you see uh, Angel's character who, uh, so Dan is the white supremacist, Angel is the, is the uh, gay guy, and they've like butted heads throughout the entire season. And they do not like each other, but they get stuck in a room together. They actually get physically stuck together and get, have a painful uh, rip that they have to do to kind of get separated. But then you kind of see this bond develop between them, and it lasts through the final bits of the episode, or through the season. And and I like that. Like, it was just, like, such a redemptive arc for Dan's character to be like, 
you know, I have my prejudices, but I'm able to get past them in this in the idea of like us overcoming this together and that there isn't this big divide between us because of our race or because of our orientation or anything like that i thought that was a really good message that the writers put in there because i think that's something that we are forgetting today as a people like just because there are some people out there that have these horrible tenets or have these horrible beliefs does not make everyone like that and everyone might or some people might have different reasons as to why they act a certain way and we're all humans and we're all flawed and I think that was the best thing that they could have done in this like they could have gone the easy route and just made Dan a complete jerk white supremacist and that wouldn't have really surprised me I really wouldn't have had an issue with it because like you're kind of set up to not like him the entire time and I'm glad that they took the high road out on that, that they're, that they're showing that there's a glimmer of hope maybe in humanity where like people can see past these, these differences. Um, so I really have to give the writers a lot of credit on that. Like it was a, it was a shift that I was not expecting and I thought they did a fantastic job with that. Um, I did call who the killer was, um, in the latter half. But it's very clever how they do it, and I really liked how they did it. So, uh, I, it's not my favorite of the seasons. I think if I'm going to rank the seasons, it's going to be 2-1-3. But um, I really, really liked it. I mean, I pretty much binge-watched it. And for me to binge-watch any shows right now, and yes, I was on a little bit of a break, but I think I would have done this had I... Because I binged, I'm pretty sure I binged season two uh, after semi-binging season one. Um it just kept me going it's like watching almost an eight-hour horror film like you kind of have to keep going and and the fact that it takes place in a in a single 24-hour period is really cool and i really like that aspect of it uh and i liked the setting i liked the characters there were some things that bugged me a little bit but like i said like they were they were minor compared to the overall um and so and, and there were some character deaths that like I didn't see kind of coming and like characters that I felt like didn't quite deserve it even though they kind of set up reasons for why these these characters are are getting murdered um, what the motive behind the killer is but it, it does a good job of being like well that person even though they did this one thing did not really deserve to get what they got and like so it's kind of shocking when those characters meet their ultimate demise so um I highly recommend it. If you got Netflix, give it a watch. I just turned on a coworker to the series, and she just started the first season. And like after she watched the first episode, she's like, "How did I never hear of the show?" And I'm like, "I know, you know. I don't think it gets promoted enough. And I really hope that it's gotten enough views on Netflix that Netflix will do a season four because like it differentiates itself from like American Horror Story because like American Horror Story goes more with like." the weird stuff like it, it goes more supernatural and i don't mind supernatural i like supernatural a lot uh, but like it it's got more episodes than what slasher has and it has more opportunity to kind of go off the rails and kind of fall apart whereas slasher it's set in the real world or so far has been set within the real world maybe they'll go with a supernatural killer if they go with on um, later seasons and that you know and that might not be a bad idea you know because otherwise you kind of run the same formula and it, it kind of gets stale and it's fine to kind of switch things up a little bit but um it's more concise they keep it within eight episodes so they kind of have to keep 
the, keep it focused and you know keep what they need it to, to be the thing that they're trying to achieve the story that they're trying to tell and not give it too many opportunities to, tell, to kind of fall apart and unravel um, so I think season three I'm going to give a uh, four out of five uh, on for rating and I think the series as a whole I'm going to give it like a 4.5 out of five um, so I, I highly recommend it if you have Netflix go out start with season one I mean, you can really start with any of the other seasons, but you'll notice that, like much like American Horror Story, some of the actors return for different roles. I was kind of sad to see that Christopher Jacot was not in this season because I really liked the fact that he was in season two. I liked this character in season two, but one of the characters from season two, uh, or one of the actors from season two is in there. One of the actors from season one is there, and uh, I, got, I believe the guy who plays Dan has been in all three seasons, if, if I'm remembering correctly. Because uh, like, I always remember his face from the IMDb, but then it's like always hard to... His IMDb picture looks so different from what he looks like in, in, in the show that it's... Like, I'm always like, hey, who is that? Is that him? Oh, that's him. So go check it out on Netflix. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Um, so now I'm going to talk about The Order, uh, another Netflix show that I binge-watched um, during the holiday break. Uh, I really liked it. Like, it, it felt... I don't know. I don't know how I want to say this, but it uh, like it, it felt almost like a CW show in some aspects, but it, it, it really worked for me. Like I, it, it took the right um, modes with magic. I liked its kind of switch a change on uh, their take on werewolves. And this will probably be a little bit shorter review because I don't really have a whole lot to say about it, but um, I, I liked the characters. I liked the kind of, secret society um, university world where you know it's a, it's a secret society no one ever says it exists and, and but it's filled with these witches and wizards kind of they're not really witches or wizards but they're just people who use magic and whether they're nefarious or they're uh, good meaning um, and it's filled with like a lot of Canadian actors that you've seen here and there um, I love the two leads. They've got a great chemistry together. It's got a very devastating finale. I love Matt Frewer, and I liked seeing Matt Frewer in this. Uh, did not like seeing what happened to his character, but you know, whatever. Uh, you know, he's fantastic in, in every second of screen time that he has on the show. The episodes are kind of fast-paced. I like also that the episodes are all two-parters, so it kind of keeps you wanting to keep watching because it's like this episode kind of ends on a cliffhanger and then the next episode wraps up everything from that from everything they set up in that first episode so i thought that was a really cool way to do it 10 episodes um not really super long episodes there's like one or two episodes that are a little bit longer but most run about 40 minutes it's almost like it was made for tv terrestrial tv uh and then netflix decided that they were going to distribute it um i've seen that a lot with a lot of the netflix originals is that they're mainly like stuff like even like slasher was uh where they they're broadcast either in another country um like the rain which is one i'm currently watching on there a great danish uh post-apocalyptic um series that like they they're aired over in their other countries and then netflix picks up the international distribution rights and then slaps netflix original and they're not really netflix originals and that's usually reflected in their time runtime like if it's the standard 42 to 45 minutes that means it was built in with commercials if you occasionally get the like one hour or 58 minute episode it kind of leans more to a netflix original show uh like the society which is one i'm currently watching on there right now and and liking um so overall like i, I really liked it i like the story it told 
Uh, I liked the characters it introduced, the world it introduced. Um, I'm looking forward to them in season two. It did get renewed for a season two, so we're going to end that next year. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how they expand the world. Like, so we know werewolves are a thing. So does that mean vampires are real? Do we get zombie? Well, we do kind of get a zombie, but like, do we get some more of these supernatural elements? Do we start seeing more of these supernatural creatures um, showing up? And and really, I mean, it has a really good finale that in the sense of if it didn't get picked up for a season two, you could have left it there and been like, okay, I'm fine with how everything kind of wrapped up. Like the character achieved his goal. Um, it's devastating what happens with this particular relationship because you can see how difficult it is for the person to make that choice. Um, the two leads are, are fantastic. They've got great chemistry. The supporting cast is really good. The one that kind of didn't work for me was one of the female werewolf, or the one female werewolf, uh, which they make a, a funny little joke about her being the only female. Um, the, her acting, like, I, I think it was a mix of, like, her acting was fine, but at the same time, like, her character was written in such a way that she tried her best to become, a, like, she's supposed to be so kind of tough and badass that you're not really supposed to like her, but she has, like, really almost no character growth until the, the final episodes which uh, like I liked that, that they made that, that change with her um, so like her character didn't work for me as well as the others um, but overall like it, it pretty much fired on all cylinders I think I'm gonna you know go with a four out of five for the first season so but I am excited for season two and uh, I look forward to it I can't believe I waited so long to watch it like I added it to my list but I don't typically binge watch a whole lot so if I'm currently in the middle of other shows like I'm doing about one maybe two a week on those if I can and uh you know trying to fit them in there and while trying to do everything else and watch all the other stuff and you know the screeners watched I meant to have some screeners watch for this one and I was going to talk about a screener on this episode but I'm already running at 49 minutes and I haven't even gotten to the film reviews yet so okay we're going to stop there for the tv reviews uh and we're going to go ahead and move into film reviews uh, so first off, I'm going to start with Brightburn, because that was the film I was going to review last week for the podcast, uh, and I'm going to keep it relatively short, because I don't have a whole lot to say on it, because uh, ultimately, I was middle of the road on it. Um, I liked the concept, I liked the idea, the acting was fantastic, but this is the problem when you have uh, trailers for movies, and this didn't have a whole lot of trailers, but... The trailers that it released showed pretty much almost every moment that was in the film because it's not an overly long movie it's a tight hour and a half film uh, so when it shows you pretty much almost every kill in the film in the trailer then it, you're left with almost nothing else and so I think that was my main problem with it uh, the kid I believe his name is Jackson A. Dunn who plays um, Brandon Byer or Breyer, Breyer, getting that right somewhere. Uh, he was really good, and you might recognize him from Avengers: Age of Ultron because he plays the uh, like teenage version of Scott when Scott when they're testing time travel. Uh, spo quick minor spoiler alert for uh, Endgame. Um, sorry, you know I wasn't really thinking there for a second, but at this point the movie's been out for over a month. You should have seen the movie. Um, anyways. Uh, he does a really good job as Brendan, uh, and I like uh, David Denham, and I like Elizabeth Banks, and they all really interact well together 
as a family unit. Um, and that's where it really works is on the family elements of the story. Um, and I have to give a shout out to the Dave Cave um, over on YouTube. Dave and I follow each other on Twitter. We, we, we disagree sometimes. Um, and we, I think we ultimately we dis might, might disagree on this film. Uh, but he made a good point of saying, hey, pay attention during the classroom scene when they're talking about bees and wasps. Now, I can't say I fully understand the analogy, but I kind of get the analogy uh, a little bit. Like, there's nothing else that supports or, or backs up uh, the purpose of why Brendan falls to Earth, like why his ship is sent there, other than kind of this, this biology analogy. And um, so thanks to him for pointing that out in his review. If you haven't gone and seen it, go over to YouTube check out his review it's nine minutes long it's you know very well done and he's got some great points he brings up uh, about the movie um it, it it just doesn't do enough like so it does a great job of you know it's an evil superman basically although it's more evil superboy um basically has the powers of superman um not really the same weaknesses although there is one thing that kind of gets set up that you're thinking okay this is what they're going to do um but we needed a little bit more of knowing where brendan came from because we don't know why and it's mainly i would assume it's because of puberty that like because that's kind of how it works with superman a little bit like it's that's what kind of triggers all of his powers. Like once he hits his 12th birthday, he starts kind of um, really coming to his abilities. Like when he throws the lawnmower and when he puts his hand in the blade and the blade just breaks and uh, you know, his heat vision and flying. And we get the idea that the ship also is, plays a contributing factor, but we, the, the way that his character just does a complete 180 without really any type of explanation other than like the ship saying take the world take the world take the world like that's that's all that, that we get from the ship we don't get any type of like fortress of solitude moment or any kind of like i don't know like krypton scene from you know um don or superman or, or uh from man of steel you know we just don't get anything that kind of builds up where Brendan came from and if it gets an eventual well I don't know if it'll get an eventual sequel I don't know how well it did I think it did fairly well in the box office but it didn't do well I don't know if it did well enough to warrant a sequel but I think the sequel is where it will really succeed um, it's got some really kind of gruesome moments in it um, there's an eye scene like I, I think I saw somebody on Twitter say that would put uh, Fulci would make Fulci uh, squirm a little bit um, there is kind of a dislocated jaw that's uh pretty gruesome uh and then there's a very very cool heat vision scene i won't go into too much detail but uh it just it, it felt like the writing was really kind of broad like they were like oh this is our idea and that's it like they didn't want to kind of build up any lore to the world to the mythos to other than it's basically evil superman um, so I, I came out a little unimpressed. I'll, I'll probably pick it up because I enjoyed it enough and I like the, the kind of take, twisted take on Superman. Like I, I want to treat this kind of like an Elseworlds uh, story. And I think, again, like that's where it could really succeed. Or if 
DC wanted to do kind of a dark Elseworlds movie universe, get get the guns, uh, the um, I think it's James Gunn's brothers uh, who wrote the movie, get them to write those Elseworlds movies because like they did they I mean because you can see the real shine of inspiration from the DC movies and I have no issue with that um, in, in this movie, uh, but it just ultimately like they're there wasn't enough there meat like really i felt like this almost should have been almost a two-hour film so that we we had like one moment where like brendan goes to the ship and the ship plays like kind of a recap of the history of his world like that they were meant to be conquerors kind of like a goku thing from dragon ball where like or more from dragon ball z than dragon ball um where basically Brendan was sent to that planet to conquer that planet for their race. But maybe due to, I don't know, like like something like Krypton, that the core exploded, like he's the last one left. And that, you know, there's no one going to be coming there to back him up after he would take over the world. So, uh, you know, I wish we would have had like more moments like that. But overall, it's, it's, it's enjoyable. I think I'm, I'm going to land on a 3 out of 5 for it. Because uh, there's still like a lot of really cool moment, moments. There's some really good visual effects. Uh, but like I said, you see most of like kind of the cool moments in the trailer. So you've almost essentially seen the movie by the trailer. Um, it does have kind of like a mid-credits thing. Uh, where they kind of set up almost like an evil version of the Justice League. And... Uh, I don't know if that's a spoiler or not. If it is, I'm sorry. I did not mean to intend to do that, but they kind of give the idea that there's this greater world and they kind of show some characters that um, are representative of like like Wonder Woman or Aquaman uh, or maybe even Green Lantern. I'm not sure. Like I, I would love like a freeze frame of the, of the, the bit because um, I think even, I think I saw that uh, if you saw James Gunn's Super, which is really good with Rain Wilson, I think Crimson Bolt showed up in the in the engine in the images on there. Uh, so like that was really cool. But um, they kind of give you the idea that there's an evil Justice League kind of out there. So I think like that's where a sequel is probably going to work a lot better for me um, than this main film. But I think I'd still pick it up because it was still enjoyable like it still had enough good moments in there and and the acting is really good like jackson does a fantastic job um even though i don't completely believe i, I think i saw someone uh say this like they wish that he had a moment where he contemplated redemption and then just turned away from it like that to show how completely far he shifted from character and he doesn't really have that it's like as soon as he hits puberty he's like i'm evil with nothing that really sets that up like i want to say that the ship causes it but again nothing quite explained about what how the ship would have caused it what was going on with the ship to to cause that you know shift in character because he's up to that point really cool kid really nice kid really smart doing well in school has friends and then all of a sudden it just kind of devolves and then he's evil um so yeah i think i think a three out of five um that might change on a second viewing of it uh when i pick it up on home release so it's going to do it for a review for uh brightburn and i think i'm going to go ahead and go into godzilla king of monsters 
and uh, you know I am running kind of well. It's about normal for the podcast, but I'm, I, I don't want to go too long on the on these reviews um, just because I've reviewed a whole lot on this episode already today. Um, so maybe I'll keep it kind of brief and uh, and maybe do some more like when they come out on home releases maybe do some more like like i did with butterfly kisses do a single episode that's completely devoted to talking about and developing or uh diving in and and dissecting uh the piece um but godzilla king of the monsters so first trailer for it did not win me over um i was very very skeptical of it i loved 2014's godzilla i know a lot of people complain that Oh, you hardly see him. He doesn't really show up till 40 minutes. You don't really get to see him a whole lot in good light. I don't care. He looked great when you did see him. When you got the fight, you got an awesome fight. Uh, this movie ups the ante. Um, and I think it's really interesting. I'm, I'm happy that we're getting uh, Godzilla versus Kong next year. Uh, and I like that characters from this movie are going to transfer over to that movie. Um, but the first trailer did not win me over. Then the second trailer released, and it and it, I was like, okay, this has got a lot of good potential. Um, and ultimately, this film for me really succeeds. So, one thing I've been seeing a lot of the complaints about the film from other reviewers, from other other people online, is that well, the human story sucks. It's too much like Transformers. Okay, my. I could go on a whole rant about the Transformers movies. I could go on all day about what your complaints are about the Transformers movies. The ultimate goal of the Transformers movies are to see robots fight. You get those in the Transformers movies. Yes, the human characters are not well thought out. Yes, the stories are not fantastic. But ultimately, the purpose of those movies are to see giant robots who can transform into cars fight and whether or not you like michael bay that's what those movies do yes revenge of the fallen is a horrible transformers movie i will not fight you on that one for multiple reasons but they are popcorn movies they are movies to turn your brain off to and to just look at the visual spectacles that you're seeing and and and, in all honesty that's what michael bay is good at doing and that's what he did so the complaint that i've seen with Godzilla King of the Monsters is there's too much monster fights and there's the human characters suck well okay first off you complained about the first film not having enough monster fights now you're complaining about it having too much monster fights you complained about it having too much character human character story now you're complaining that there's not enough character story how are they supposed to win then with you as an audience so I agree. The characters are, are the human characters are, uh, other than Sarazawa, are okay. They they are just place fillers. They are there to fill in the gaps for us to be able to see the moments where Godzilla fights Ghidorah, or Godzilla, you know, has to fight Rodan, or any of the other monsters that they introduce in this film, um, or you know, Mothra, you know, like. <clears throat> The, the purpose of this film was to explain Ghidorah's origins, to explain Godzilla's origins, to kind of show that it's not just 
that these creatures were created, but that they had a greater purpose. And and like they kind of did this with the Kong thing. And I think that that was a complaint about Kong Skull Island was it was too much monster, not enough on the human characters. But what are you expecting with a movie called Kong Skull Island? You're going to see Kong. And they were adjusting from your complaints about Godzilla not showing the creature enough. So here, yes, it's shot a little bit dark. It's not nearly as bad as everyone says it is with the Battle of Winterfell. Battle of Winterfell on Game of Thrones is extremely dark and hard to see. At least with this one, and you're in a dark theater, you're going to be able to see the majority of the action. It's, it's dark, but it's still good. Um, I think Charles Dance's character was almost a complete waste in the film. Um, oh, sorry, my cat's being annoying. Um, but you... The, the basic thing comes down to eco-terrorism and the basic story, like how or why the, the Titans are being released. The government wants to destroy the Titans because they're afraid of what the Titans will do if they emerge. Then you have this kind of eco-terrorism group who wants to unleash the Titans because they believe it will bring the world to homeostasis. That they are that humans are the disease and that the Titans are the, the antibodies. And, you know, that's really all you need. That's not really a bad explanation at all, or, or even just a bad kind of basic story premise to at least set it up. Um, so, you know, there's some some character choices or some, some story choices, like, I, I don't want to go into spoilers, so I'll, 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 I'll leave that be. But you'll know when you see it, where I'll be like, really? Like, they just got out of that after you know what just happened like they just managed to get out of that situation altogether and and then i mean it's primarily to set up the there is a post-credit scene it's primarily to set up that post-credit scene in my opinion i like charles dance's characters i think going to have more of a play either in the next godzilla movie after godzilla versus kong or during godzilla versus kong because uh, i kind of have a theory about what's going to happen in godzilla versus kong based on this movie but without going into spoilers I'm not, uh, I can't discuss it right now. Um, if you want, you can DM me on Twitter and I'll, I'll give you my, uh, my, uh, theory. Um, so the visual effects are stunning. It plays the original Mothra tune. It plays the original Godzilla tune. Uh, I think if, if, uh, if Ghidorah had one, it plays Ghidorah's, uh, it plays Rodan's. Like, I mean, Michael Dot. uh, might get his name wrong but michael doherty or michael doherty i can't i'm not sure the director of trick and trick or treat who is which is like one of my all-time favorite horror films uh does a really good job and um you know millie bobby brown this is her first theatrical movie um they don't do enough with her for her being kind of like i mean they do but they don't like for her being this being her big movie and them kind of putting all of the marketing behind her like it just it didn't feel like she did enough in the sense of like acting wise like that that would justify them putting all their bank behind that like really in all honesty Kyle Chandler's character is more of the focus point of the film I mean it's really the character of that family uh Vera Famiga's uh you know Vera Famiga's the mother uh Kyle Chandler's the father and Millie Bobby Brown's their daughter uh, it's that more family aspect, kind of like with Brightburn, that they're focusing on. But like Kyle Chandler is the one who really goes through more of a of a character arc through the film than the other two characters. Um, 
But so I feel like they should focus more on him and and Sarazawa, like uh, Ken Watanabe, uh, or I'm probably said that wrong, and I'm not even going to try to butcher it any further. Uh, they give him some really great moments, but they you know there's not really a whole lot of focus on him, and um, but you know they 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 do some really cool things. They build the world more. Uh, I'm more excited with potential future of, of the, the monster verse, I think is what they're calling this. Um, but you know, when you're complaining about the char human character stories of a film that's about monsters fighting, kaijus fighting each other, are you really supposed to be focusing? I mean, can you, can you go back and look at all the other Godzilla movies, even the original 1950s movie, other than the 1950s movie being a warning about the atomic age? and nuclear radiation and nuclear warheads they ain't got much story it's all about the monsters fighting i mean that's really what it is so i'm sorry if that's what they needed to do to achieve it that's what they did and that's what i needed that's what i wanted i wanted to see godzilla fighting Ghidorah. i wanted to see mothra uh, get some action i mean the mothra scenes are so good and and for it being a big giant moth, they do some really cool character moments. Moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's more human than the human characters. So, you know, I when you go into these movies, it's like going into Pacific Rim, but only wanting to watch the characters talk. Like, no, you're watching them to get in big giant robots and fight monsters. Uh, you know, so like, really, in all honesty, that's the purpose of the film. It's called King of the Monsters. It's about all the Titans. And what the titans are going to do once they've emerged who is going to rule them and then what's going to come out from the aftermath of this and and that it succeeded so i'm sorry if it wasn't goodwill hunting on the characters the human characters um yes it, the story is a little predictable yes the characters make predictable decisions yes there's some ridiculous situations that the human characters shouldn't get out of in fact one human character doesn't get out of um, there were some weird twists that didn't seem characteristic for what they were trying to do with the movie, but I'm sorry. I got to see Godzilla fight Ghidorah. I got to see Godzilla, Godzilla do his atomic fire. So, and, and one other thing that I won't go into. So I got to see some really awesome moments. I think everyone in the theater that I saw it with really loved it. So... I'm sorry, it achieved its goal for me. I'm sorry that it's not art cinema. It's not hereditary level of writing, which, in my opinion, hereditary is writing is trash. Don't even come at me. I mean, I swear, I don't understand the love for that movie. Um, and I know I'm going to watch Midsummer for the podcast, but I am not looking forward to that one at all. I love Florence Pooh, uh, if I said that right. Uh, or maybe it's Florence Poe. I'm, I don't know. When you have the OGHs, uh, you guys are throwing me off there with how you pronounce their your names. Um, and Will Poulter's in that. So, like, it's got actors in it that I like. It's got Chidi from The Good Place in it. But, like, I just... When you're going... I don't mind art house cinema. I like Ingar... Uh, I'm probably saying his name wrong. Ingmar Bergman, Bergman uh, films... I like some art house cinema films. I like Birdman, you know. I like uh, Black Swan, you know. So there are movies that are meant to be kind of like high art, 
this is not meant to be one of those movies. This is meant to be a fun movie, an enjoyable popcorn movie, a summer blockbuster, what summer blockbusters were supposed to be. I mean, like, even with Avengers, you know, you're looking at a movie that's about people who dress up in tights. So you're saying you want something like uh, Sophie's Choice for Avengers and story content. No, you're not going to get that. You're going to get heroes fighting villains. So you're in Godzilla, a monster, a monster movie, you're going to get monsters fighting monsters. That's the focus. I'm sorry. Don't tell me you're going to go back and watch all those old Godzilla movies and tell me that their stories were amazing. So, uh, sorry. And I'm sorry for the mild rant. Um, it's just, in, in fact, my cousin, who is a bigger Godzilla fan than myself, I mean, and I, I watched our old VHS of the original Godzilla movie like a million times, and I even still to this day kind of like the 1998 Godzilla movie. It's not great. It's not Godzilla, but I like it. It's fun. I mean, um, in all honesty, it has a better character story than Godzilla King of the Monsters because that's what they focused on more than, than the monster. They focused on the human characters, and that's what you get. You get 1998 Roland Emmerich Godzilla if you focus too much on the human characters rather than the monster. Um, but my cousin, who's the biggest Godzilla fan on the face of the planet, was a little disheartened by the reviews, uh, the Rotten Tomatoes score. And that and again, this goes to the kind of the, the point of the podcast, is you can be a critic, but you, but you can try to not be a cynic about it. And I think Rotten Tomatoes has been full of not everyone but it's been full of people who just don't know how to enjoy a film anymore or just don't want to enjoy a film anymore. They see it more as a job than entertainment. And that's per- and that's what the purpose of it is. Now, you can go in and not be entertained, and that's perfectly fine. But then when... And I, and I got trashed on this for liking Transformers the last night. Um, you know, I... Just because I enjoy it doesn't make me... I, I literally got called um, brainless because I liked Transformers last night because you said brainless entertainment only and entertains the brainless that's not true entertainment is whatever entertains you it doesn't have to be highbrow it doesn't have to be lowbrow it doesn't have to be middle of the road it is whatever you find that you ha- that you like that you enjoy you can have things about it that you don't like I own all the Resident Evil movies. There are movies in that series I don't like. Objectively, they're not great films. But I like the action sequences. They're over the top. Mila Jovovich is fantastic in them. So I watch them. I own them. Um, so getting back to my cousin, I, I uh, immediately got on Facebook. I, I joked with him I, I would spoil the movie for him, so I said Godzilla's in it. Spoiler. Um, but I, I told him, I said, I think you're going to like it. And... He goes, oh, that doesn't sound good. You sound like you're being like that. You, you really didn't enjoy it. I'm like, no, I actually did. Uh, it's like it's everything that you want in a Godzilla movie. You want Godzilla fighting monsters, and with that being the primary complaint about the first Godzilla movie, uh, or the first new Godzilla movie, the 2014 one. Now you're complaining that that's all he does is he fights monsters. Yeah, they could have done him more in like the daylight than it than it in in the dark. But oh well. I mean, deal with it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry it didn't go away. If if it, if it, if you want it to go a particular way, you go out there and you make that movie if you can. Uh, I'm not stopping you. Only you are stopping you. Maybe people in Hollywood might stop you. But um, you know, don't tell me how you could have made it better, and then not do anything 
better. I mean, like, I know the point of criticism is pointing out flaws and things and, like, talk about, like, I mean, I did it with Brightburn, what I would have done. But that doesn't mean that then the movie then is a bad movie because they didn't meet a certain expectation or they didn't do a certain thing that I was looking forward to does not mean that what they did was necessarily bad. I mean, it just, just was something that I thought was lacking. But then there, here's the, the parts about the film that I did like. So Godzilla falls in that same place. You know, there, there are human character moments, like the, the, the whole one from the trailer when, you know, one character says, God, and then Bradley Whitford goes, Zilla. Like, I did not like that part. I, I still don't like that part. It's too cheesy. Like, it's like, no one says that. You know, you know no one just would go, oh, my God, and then someone would be like, Zilla? Yeah, ha, <laughs> see what I did there? You know, but at the same time, like, oh, well. You know, I can get over that. That they did the rest of the stuff that I needed them to do. Um, so I think where I'm going to fall at on Godzilla will be a 4.5 out of 5. I, I'd say it's a must-see. It's definitely a must-see in theaters. It's very epic. It's very grand. It's ambitious, and it sets up, you know, Godzilla versus Kong, which I'm excited is only a year away because it took us five years to get uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters, which in my opinion was five years too long, but they work within that five years. That's one of the other cool things, is how they keep this within continuity of that 2014 movie. Um, so, go out and see it in theaters. I think you guys will enjoy it, uh, especially if you're big Godzilla fans. I know uh, my cousin's going to really like it, uh, even probably more than I did. So, that's going to do it for Godzilla King of the Monsters, and now we're going to go into my review of Rocket Man the Elton John uh, biopic slash musical. And I think this was the best way that they could have done an Elton John biopic. Um, because Elton John is is known for flashy, crazy ridiculousness. And that is, in of essence, this movie. Um, it's, it's flashy, it's ridiculous, and it's amazing. I mean, it's probably right now, as of all the movies I've seen this year, is probably going to sit at the top. It doesn't start out strong, in my opinion. Um, it it starts with him walking into rehab and then going into his story, and um, and so you start with young Reginald Dwight, and then you kind of get to maybe 12 year old Dwight and then you get to Taron Edgerton as Elton John and uh, the the younger versions although uh, there is one really kind of beautiful sequence at the very beginning with with uh, the young kid where you know he's just learned that he actually can pick up air where uh, Elton John is picking up the piano just like sits there and starts playing music that's being played on on the radio and uh, so he's in bed and he's got the light on and he's reading sheet music and his mom played by the great Bryce Dallas Howard is like well, what are you doing and he goes oh I'm, I'm, I'm learning and she goes well it's, it's lights out and so he turns off uh, so they turn off the light she shuts the door he immediately pulls out his flashlight and then kind of flashes the light around and you see kind of an orchestra in his room and they're doing an orchestra version of like Rocket Man and then he gets up and he's kind of conducting the orchestra with his flashlight and it's really kind of a cool beautiful sequence in the very beginning and then it kind of jumps to an older version of him and then when he starts singing Saturday Nights um, for Fighting it um, 
it, it, it's when it's the kind of younger version of him, the 12 year old version, it doesn't start out strong, but then it switches to Taron Edgerton and then it really picks up and does really well there. And, um, and so like, that's where the films really started to pick up for me is once he's kind of in his early twenties and, uh, and it's just beautiful. I mean, it's just a beautiful film. Um, they really they do dive into his sexuality a lot there's one particular scene and it was kind of kind of funny had a young maybe 13 year old sitting next to me and it, this is an r-rated movie i mean there's f-bombs there's some suggestive scenes so i would not take any kind of young kids to see this although i had a young kid next to me but there is a man-on-man sex scene now personally i don't need that in the movie i know that's elton john that's who he is that's a part of his life but i didn't need to see it on film but i can understand why they did it on film uh, but the kid next to me just like put his hand up uh you know he didn't have he didn't have any issues when it was just the the kissing <coughs> excuse me uh, but when it, when uh, richard madden and uh taron edgerton are kind of getting it on in, in the bedroom he, he was a little too much for him um but uh, you know, I didn't need that scene in there, but it's also, it's only like maybe 45 seconds to a minute long, so it's not super long. I know, uh, surprisingly enough, like, I was in there with a, more of an older crowd, you know, more of the people who were growing up during the time his music was coming out, and I think they all dealt with it fine. I mean, so, um, you know, it was something I didn't necessarily need in the movie, but I understood why they put it in there. Um, but it, you know, it, it, follows with his friendship with uh, the songwriter with his songwriter Bernie that's it's really well done Jamie Bell does a fantastic job as Bernie and being there like being a support and being the person that's like trying to tell him like hey you're killing yourself and like I can't be around you when you're doing this and then even when like Elton is telling him like they don't pay to see Reginald Dwight they they pay to see Elton John when he's in this you know his like rooster costume and uh and then he immediately apologizes because like the way he talked to Bernie who you know has only been the person that only treats him really well and and you know he immediately apologizes and Bernie's like I know like he, Bernie does not ever give up on Elton uh it might seem like he does but he doesn't really give up on Elton and I think like that's one of the reasons why Elton didn't end up killing himself because I mean there you see plenty of moments throughout the film and that, and then when you circle around, like I didn't like necessarily how it started back or how it started with his childhood, but it showed his relationship with his father, and and how his father was very cold to him, and his mother was also cold to him. I mean, like there, it it, it really makes you understand why he made some choices that he made, why he drank so much, why he did all the drugs, and and the the core thing is just coming down to he never knew what it was like loved and or to feel loved and that's all he's ever that's all he ever wanted and um and so i mean there's just uh, uh, there are just so many fantastic moments in the film um i'm i'm really surprised that they didn't play somebody save my life tonight um and there like i would have expected that to play more in at the um near the end when he goes to rehab and I thought, like, Rocket Man, it felt, the song itself, like, fell at a great point, but then it kind of lackluster for me on where, where it fell. And also your song, which is my favorite Elton John song, of course, it's probably everybody's favorite Elton John song, um, 
I wish it had made like kind of a, a another show up in in the in the film later on, but I, I they still did such a, an amazing job, and I think this is where I haven't seen Bohemian Rhapsody, but I think that this honestly is why it's better than Bohemian Rhapsody in the sense of um, Bohemian Rhapsody is more of a biopic with music by Queen. This is more of a musical that happens to be a biopic about Elton John, so. Um, I think that's where it works more like I, I know when they were talking about making this and they said well it's going to be more of a fantasy musical type film than a straight biopic and I think that's where my interest you know, was picked or peaked was because it was not just going to be a straight biopic like I don't mind biopics but it it's hard sometimes to sit through a biopic for you know two and a half hours or two hours and 20 minutes or, or even just two hours and this is a tight two-hour pick it doesn't feel like two hours and i think again like that musical aspect really helps with it like across the universe is about i think it's a, a two-hour movie or maybe a little bit over two-hour movie but it doesn't feel like a two-hour movie because of the the music the way and, and the, the musical aspect of it so um taron edgerton is just amazing as elton john like you believe he's elton john and uh, so I, I really, really enjoyed it. It's going to be a day one pickup for me. I will, I will probably watch it several more times. Uh, and the final, final rehab scene is really heartwarming and heart moving when he's com finally confronting his demons and coming to acceptance. And there's just a beautiful moment where he kind of has like a moment with his childhood self. And that's like where doing this as a musical that they could do these things without it seeming off or seeming weird and then so what i also really liked is during the credits moments from the movie um so they'll, they'll take they'll show like little bits from the, from the film and then they'll stop and then they'll show a an actual picture of elton and comparing the two scenes together from you know real life versus what they showed in the film and there are a lot of moments where he just he looks dead on. And in fact, like near the end, they actually recre recreated one of the music videos. It took me a second to figure out what was going on because I'm like, wow, this looks really like such a distorted picture. But then I'm like, oh, they're putting him in the music video of, uh, you know, this music video that he was in and kind of keeping it within that real world aspect. But um, it just blew me away. It really did. It, I was just stunned by the production quality, the cinematography, the writing. The, like I said, the part that didn't work for me the, the most was the beginning, uh, him and his childhood. But uh, it made more sense to me when I when we got to the end of the film and how it connected to that beginning, why we needed to see that beginning, why we needed to see him as a young kid and the relationship with his father, the relationship with his mother, the relationship with his grandmother, the relationship with I guess he kind of became a stepfather not really sure but and then why why he kind of fell apart there uh for a while and and what contributed to that why he did the drugs why was he constantly feeling lonely and even though he had all surrounded by all these people he had all this money and it just does a wonderful job integrating the music it's a beautiful musical go out and see it it deserves it's 90 percent in rotten tomatoes um you have to be i think pretty hard not to not to like something about this movie you can not necessarily like the, the the story it tells maybe but you 
can at least maybe appreciate the music or vice versa. You might like the story it tells more, but not how they place the music. I thought the music, there were some, some scenes where the music kind of got like, I couldn't quite understand the words for the music. Like it was, and it wasn't like it was distorted, but it was just maybe the way it was recorded or just the fact that how I was hearing it in, in theater. Maybe if I had like, was listening to it with headphones on, I might go back if the soundtrack is available on Spotify, listen to the soundtrack. Um, because there were just some songs that were just like, they were so upbeat, so quick that you like almost couldn't get the words out, and you could just like it was just like a jumble, you know, just like that. Uh, so um, honestly, I think I'm gonna go with a five out of five. Um, that might change. It might the lowest it would drop down would be a four point five, but right now I think it's gonna sit on a high five out of five for me. And like I said, with doing um, like a full dissection of like maybe Godzilla, maybe Brightburn when they come out on home releases, doing just single episodes that focus primarily on those, discuss spoilers and all, uh, and um, dive in more to it, or maybe even just doing a commentary track, uh, just kind of watching the movie along as recording and kind of just talk about the sequences, talk about the scenes and, and what they're doing and how that that plays out and how this plays out so all right well thank you for uh sticking with me i, I guess this isn't uh, as long of an episode considering how much i talked about on here but it's it's still up there looking at that about about an hour and a half um but i yeah i just had seen a whole bunch of movies i figured you know i, I missed a week so i was going to jam-pack this one with a bunch of reviews for a bunch of different things um you know i i I'm sorry that I take these breaks just sometimes the way that I am I gotta take a break like I would love to record but I also don't want to record and feel like crap so then I'm just stumbling through up through a podcast and not really giving it my all um, this was meant to be recorded on Friday night but I'm recording this on Saturday afternoon but I actually felt like this was better because I you know I saw Godzilla on Thursday night and I saw Rocket Man on Friday night and I didn't want to just come straight home from Rocket Man and record the podcast I wanted to sit on Rocket Man for a little bit think about it dwell on it uh, it's going to stick with me for a long time it's definitely one I'm going to revisit it's definitely one I'm going to buy in fact all three movies I've talked about their their purchases I mean even though Brightburn I was a little lukewarm on uh, like I said there's still enough there the acting's really strong the, char uh, the characterizations are really strong and it's got enough potential in sequels that I think like it'll be necessary to, to own it especially if like maybe Warner Brothers can get in there and partner with them a little bit or just be like hey we're going to take you and we're going to let you write these Elseworlds movies and then we can see like movies with like a black Superman uh, or you know uh, even maybe like female versions of I mean I know we have Batwoman, Batgirl and uh, Supergirl, but like, you know, these kind of tw tipsy topsy twirly worlds where characters are kind of transposed or changed or, uh, you know, not the norm that we normally see them in in their um, in their comic book form or in their in their in their video game form or in their movie form. So, uh, I definitely would have to recommend all three movies. Um, temper your expectations with Brightburn. If you're going into Godzilla thinking, I just want to see monsters fight monsters, you're going to enjoy it. And uh, Rocket Man, if you're an Elton John fan, I don't see how you don't like this. So 
uh, I think that's going to do it for this uh, week's episode. Thank you guys for sticking with me, and we'll see you again real soon.